Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, good. You had, you had to make sure that your first opinion was right. Well, I'm glad you've all decided to come to this 301 class. The class uh, is part of this uh, series that I'm calling the Apprenticeship Series. And the idea behind this series was to start at the beginning, the 101 class, the foundations of the church, and talk about the church, the history of the church, the history of the faith, and, and really put some foundations there, especially for newer folks, and that class is good for people, anyone to take, but it helps fulfill the requirement for people that want to join the church. Um, and we've done that one time. We've only done these, each of these classes one time. And then the 201 class was designed to walk through the Bible and talk, look at the history of the Bible, the history of the, the Holy Scriptures and see uh, what it's all about and how, how do we interpret the Bible. How can we learn to read the Bible for all it's worth because it truly is a pearl of great price. And then the 301 class starts tonight. The 301 class is a class on prayer. Prayer is, uh, prayer is a lot of things. We're going to talk about it all through the coming weeks. But I want to begin this topic of prayer uh, by having you look inside your blue folder. And I, I want everyone, you, you can do this anonymously, okay? Inside your blue folder, everyone has one, there is... A page that is for your note-taking, all it says is my notes, week one. This class will be a good class to take notes in. A lot of the teaching is going to be just verbal. Not, We're not going through a lot of workbooks or handbooks or anything like that. It's just a great time to take notes as we discuss the topic of prayer. So each week I'll have a page for you to take notes on. But with that is also a page that says, what, it has two questions. What is prayer to me? What is prayer to me? I want you to reflect on that for just a couple of minutes together as we begin. And I want you to, you, I do not want you to put your name on it, okay? I want you to just keep it anonymous, but I want you to write honest feelings about prayer. Okay, what is it to you? There is no wrong answer, okay? Whatever it is to you, that's what it is to you at this point in your journey, Okay? You, it may be a huge mystery to you. It may be a frustration to you. I think my hot plate's working overtime and steaming back there. Uh, I had it on that, that thing gets really hot, doesn't it? Boiling it already. Wow. So if you get seconds, it's hot. <laughs> or thirds, whatever you'd like. I want you to be honest. Whatever prayer is at this part of your journey, uh, I want to be able to know where you're all coming from. And I don't care about the names at all. But then the second half of the question of the page, it says, what are my questions about prayer? I want you to, again, anonymously just write questions that you have always wished you had an answer to. And I believe we're going to answer those questions during this weeks of this class. So think about it. Uh, take a few minutes to, to write a little bit while I'm talking up here. Uh, the idea behind this is that uh, I, I want to take prayer away from the realm 
of intellectual discussion. And I want to bring it into the realm of personal experience. I don't want this to be a class, a textbook class on prayer. I want it to be a real experience where we can really, truly answer the deep questions of our life about prayer and learn together. Do I have everything figured out about prayer? Absolutely not. Have I learned that prayer is essential to my being as a person? Yes. I have learned that prayer is essential to the kingdom of God. And what I'm going to tell you right now at the beginning of class, as you're thinking about writing some of your thoughts and questions down, is I'm going to tell you that I believe that most of us haven't even scratched the surface of what prayer could be in our lives and what God wants it to be, not only in our lives, but in the life of the church and in the life of the world. So that's saying a lot. That's, that's saying a lot that I really believe about prayer. I believe before the end of this class is over, I mean the class says, not just tonight's class, but before the end of our classes are over, I believe you're going to see prayer in a completely different realm than you ever have before. So it's okay. Whatever your questions are, it's okay. The other side of your blue folder, there are some papers in here that... Uh, I've given you, each week I'm going to give you a list of famous quotes from the different saints of the ages. It says, what do the saints of the ages say to us about prayer? And so I just pulled some random ones that I thought would be good to mention on our first night. And the, uh, we'll just casually look down through them and we'll read them. The other thing is that there is a, uh, this, I'll talk more about this at the end of the class. There is a, what it's called a complete list of the Apostle Paul's prayers from the Bible, or from the New Testament specifically, from his letters in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, of course, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, or three-fourths, something like that, somewhere in that range. And uh, just a prolific man used of God, and he had a lot to say, and a lot for us to learn from him. So we'll see how we learn from listening to the prayers of Paul as well. But for now, let's look at our... Uh, Let's look at our, you can keep your page that you're writing on. Just, just work on it throughout the evening. No, no hurry. Uh, but I want you to turn that in at the end of the night with your questions and with what prayer is to you. And that's going to help shape us a little bit on how we approach coming weeks. At any point in time, if you need to get up and you want to get some more soup or another piece of cake, please do help yourself. The coffee bar is over here on the left. Feel free to go make you a cup of coffee. Whatever you'd like to do, feel free to get up. I want you to think of this class as a time to, uh, to discuss, to be open and honest. Uh, it, I'm not just going to lecture, although I will do a fair amount of lecture. So that's why I want you to be able to take notes. But it's not just about lecture. It's, I've just, I say that only because I just got a lot of things on my heart I want to say about prayer. Um, so we'll say those in the form of the lecture notes. One of my favorite quotes, John Wesley. John Wesley, the father of the Wesleyan holiness revival of the 18th century. He said this, he said, God does, in fact, he said, I believe that God does nothing except in response 
to believing prayer. Wesley even qualified it with the word believing. Believing prayer. He obviously thought there's more than one kind of prayer. There must be a prayer that doesn't really believe. But he believed that God does nothing. Think about the theological implications of God doing nothing except in answer to prayer, in response to prayer. That's a deep theological thought. It's dangerous when we start saying, well, I don't believe God does this or I don't believe God does that. I'll take a stand on some of those things a little later in the class. But uh, Wesley seemed to believe it with all of his heart. Has anybody ever heard of a man named S.D. Gordon? I'll give you the timetables. They wrote, S.D. Gordon wrote in the 19th, the last half of the 19th, first half of the 20th century. He wrote a series of books on prayer. Uh, I have some of those. I meant to bring them. I could only carry so many with all the food. And I forgot to bring them. I have some really old books. I have S.D. Gordon's books. Uh, and the next one is E.M. Bounds. But S.D. Gordon said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God or man is pray. I wonder if we really believe that. that the greatest thing we could do for God or for man is to pray. I believe that. I do. I'd, I'd like to believe we all believe that. But if we really believe it, our lives will show it. That's the truth. Um, we'll talk more about why it's so great. The greatest thing that we can do is to pray. E.M. Um, e. Bounds, another 19th, early 20th century writer. He said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces of against evil. Fascinating. The more prayer there is in the world. That's, that's pretty neat. Andrew Murray. I did bring Andrew Murray, my collection of Andrew Murray stuff here tonight. You're welcome to look at any of these books afterward. This is Andrew Murray on prayer. Uh, this is actually a collection of a bunch of books. Andrew Murray was one of the most prolific authors on prayer. He lived, again, in the 19th century. He was a minister, a Christian minister in, the, uh, in Africa. Um, was I think he was a Dutch Reformed minister, but he had volumes to say about prayer. And uh, this comes from one of, his, one of his books. It says, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. The man who mobilizes the church to pray, Christian church to pray. I question whether we really believe that. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I don't know too many pastors that I could say really believe that. If that was true, then we'd be calling people to prayer more. I think we think today that the man who can build the greatest program and reach the biggest number of people and have the biggest numbers in their church, that's the one who's made the greatest contribution to evangelization. I, I really think that's what a lot of ministers believe today, sadly. But I can tell you this, it seems that whenever the church calls the church to prayer, Whenever the pastor or the minister calls the church to prayer, we want to have a special time of prayer. We want to have a special prayer meeting. Not too many folks show up. wonder why that is. Could it be that it's because we don't understand prayer? I really believe. As much as we think we embrace it, as much as we think we love it, we don't really understand it. I don't either. I'm the teacher up here. I'm just learning. Because the truth is, the subject of prayer is the subject of God. It's a deep theological subject. We, 
we could never embrace all that God has for us in prayer because we could never embrace all of God. God is infinite. He's so great. Uh, let's look at another one here. St. Augustine of the 4th century. Many cry to God, but not with the voice of the soul, but with the voice of the body. Only the cry of the heart of the soul reaches God. Again, you can hear that St. Augustine must be feeling there's, there's different levels to prayer. A lot of people say they pray, but they're praying not with the depth of their soul. It's an interesting thought. St. Ephraim of Syria is a 4th century uh, saint, and he says virtues are formed by prayer. Prayer preserves temperance. Prayer suppresses anger. Prayer prevents emotions of pride and envy. Prayer draws into the soul the Holy Spirit and raises man to heaven. Wow. I lo- I'm going to watch it up. If you think about it, you can underline that last thought of St. Ephraim. The idea that prayer draws into the soul the Holy Spirit. Can you see kind of a picture of the Holy Spirit penetrating deep into our soul and raises man then into heaven. That's a powerful thought. That the experience of prayer, and that's one of the things I'm going to going to hopefully talk with you about, is this idea of what really happens when we begin to experience really profound prayer. Okay, St. John of the Cross in the 16th century, he said, Seek by reading and you will find by meditating. Knock by praying and it will be open to you in contemplation. So St. John is talking about uh, this idea of Christian meditation and contemplation being accompanying means to prayer. I can best illustrate this, what that means by a story. When I was a young Christian man, young, young man, newly, newly uh, kind of a newly on fire Christian in my early 20s, listening to a minister on talk radio, Christian talk radio. I was listening to a preacher. I still remember, I remember exactly where I was and exactly when it happened. And I'm just listening to a sermon driving down Douglas Street here in Wichita. And I, I got to the corner of Maine and Douglas. I was actually driving east on Douglas. And it was over the noon hour. I had gone somewhere on my lunch break. I worked on Douglas and I was listening to this sermon. I was, this was all new to me. I never knew there were preachers on the radio. Didn't know you could listen to sermons out there. I was, I mean, this is all. I was just drinking from a fire hose. You know, I just really tried to learn all I could. And I can tell you who the preacher was, the preacher that I heard. His name was Howard Hendricks. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Howard Hendricks. He was a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, and he had a radio program on back in the day. And he said this, he said, most of us spend too much time praying and not nearly enough time listening. I said, what? He said, you mean you can spend too much time in prayer? Then he qualified himself and said, most of us spend too much time talking to God and very little time actually listening to God. 
What I think St. John of the Cross is saying here is, seek by reading and you will find by meditating. Knock by praying and it will be open to you in contemplation. We must have times when we contemplate God, when we contemplate the Holy Scriptures, when we sit down and really meditate on what it means in our, to our soul, to our world, to our life. And that is in itself a form of prayer. Contemplation and meditation. There is another book I brought you tonight. That if, I'm just throwing these out so you guys can hopefully add them to your library someday. Most of them you can buy at a used bookstore. And that is a book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Richard Foster was an instructor at Friends University back in the 70s, the 1970s, maybe even into the early 80s. I don't remember when he left. But a great thinker, a great teacher of Christian spirituality. Harlan, do you... Was you here when he spoke at our church? I was not here yet, but I heard the stories that he did once. Yeah, he was a great speaker, too. He, he taught religion at, uh, and spirituality at Friends University. I'm, I'm reading one of his books right now. I'm actually in the last chapter. It's in my page Take it to work with me, and in between routes, be, I mean, in between stops, <laughs> I have to waste time. So yes. Good for you. Very good. And what's his last name? Richard? Foster. Okay. Richard Foster. He left uh, Friends University, he left teaching. He founded a ministry called Renovare, which is French for renewal. Oh. Renovare, French for renewal. It's about spiritual renewal. Traveled the country, wrote books, spoke to me. This was one of his uh, most celebrated books. Uh, this was, when I bought this, it was in this, I think it was the 20th anniversary edition. Okay. So it had been out for a while even when I bought it. It's a book I've honestly tried to read every year. I pull it off my shelf and reread it every year. It's just so basic and good. And what he does is he identifies spiritual disciplines that we need in our life. And he identifies outward disciplines, such as simplicity of life. He identifies inward disciplines. He identifies corporate disciplines that we would all participate, like worship. Okay, And he identifies spiritual disciplines. And one of the spiritual disciplines is prayer. So there's a whole chapter in here on each one of those. And along with that, there is a chapter on contemplation and meditation or Christian meditation. There's also a chapter on study. Um, I could tell you what they are if I looked at the table of contents here. Uh, and I'm going to read to you just a little bit. The, the, uh, the inward disciplines, the inward disciplines are these. Meditation. Prayer, fasting, and study. Meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. The outward disciplines he recognizes are simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then the corporate disciplines are, corporate meaning we all do it together, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. That gives you just a little bit of insight into the book. And they are powerful, powerful thoughts. Um, And I'm going to come right back to him as soon as I finish these quotes. So, uh, St. John of the Cross we left off with. St. John Vianney, lived in the 18th and 19th century, said this. Prayer is nothing else than union with God. When the heart is pure and united with God, it is consoled and filled with sweetness. 
It is dazzled by a marvelous light. I would circle those words. Prayer is nothing more than union with God. That is a mystical thought that you and I must begin to wrap our brains around. God wants to be united with us in our souls. We have been invited into the life of God. And it's beautiful. It's, it is life. It's the essence of life. And uh, prayer is the avenue we get there. The fat, final one, St. Philip Neri from the 16th century as well. It is an old custom of the saints of God to have some little prayers ready to be frequently darting them up to heaven during the day. Lifting their minds to God out of the mire of this world. He who adopts this plan will obtain great fruits with this, with little pain. I couldn't agree more, heart, more wholeheartedly with, with uh, St. Philip Neri here. What he's talking about is knowing some short prayer. Maybe it's one you thought of and wrote yourself. Or maybe you want to adopt one that's been given through the ages. Okay? I'll teach you one. I'll teach you several in this class over the coming weeks that you might find one that you're just, your soul adapts to. Okay? I have one that my soul adapts to. I'll share that in time. But it's the idea that prayer, you all know that perhaps you all will remember that the Apostle Paul is credited with teaching us in Scripture that we should pray without ceasing. Right? Who can do that? Pray without ceasing. I mean, who can just 24-7 think about prayer? You know, unless you're a monk in a monastery somewhere, you know, where you, that's your life. And, and I'm just weird enough that that's always kind of drawn me. I've kind of, I've kind of always wished I had this little side of me that could have just gone off into a monastery and prayed all day long and, and, and read books and stuff like that. So there's a little bit of me that, that then the other side of me wants, loves the world and loves the family and loves all those things too. So, you know, but, but there's a secret to being able to pray without ceasing. And we're going to talk about that in this class. It's, it's, we're going to unlock the mystery, as I've called this class. We're going to unlock the mystery that surrounds this topic of prayer. And when I taught in the class regular, in the church regularly, I, I taught a Sunday school class for 11 years here in the church regularly. Co-taught it with another teacher. That was before I went into pastoral ministries. And whenever we came around to teaching on prayer, it always seemed to be a most misunderstood subject. And I didn't even begin to understand it back in those days like I do today. The, the, the little bit that I've scratched the surface today. But people were generally frustrated with their prayer lives. If they were honest, they would come up to me after class. They would say things, just honestly sharing their frustration. Frustrations like, I pray all the time and it just seems like God's not listening. Or I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked God for that and it just, the answer's always no. Never. You know, those and they just get frustrated and they give up. What I've come to learn after all these years, what I couldn't tell them then, because I wasn't old enough and smart enough, and not that I'm smart enough now, I've just figured it out myself. But what I couldn't tell them then, what I wish I could have, and I wish I could go back and tell them now, is that they were praying from the wrong position. They were praying from the wrong. If we're frustrated in our prayer life, we're praying from the wrong position of the soul. 
And I'm going to teach you what that means. We're going, to, we're going to unlock all this stuff. Okay. Now, let me read something to you here that Richard Foster wrote in his book. Get back to it here. Um, on the chapter on prayer. He says this. Prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Meditation produces the, introduces us to the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means. Study transforms our mind. So he's talking about each one of those four inward disciplines that I'd mentioned to you, okay? Let me read that again. He says, meditation introduces us to the interior life, the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means. It's something we do alongside of our life of prayer. Study, like we regularly do in these type of Bible studies and classes, study transforms our minds, but it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest, highest work of the human spirit. The deepest, highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer, he goes on, real prayer, and this this is actually a quote from uh, William Carey. Does anybody know who William Carey was? He was a a famous Quaker. uh, And there, 20th, I think early 20th century. Uh, Real prayer is a life-creating, life-changing. Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness, writes William Carey. Lies at the root of all personal godliness. We want to be godly people, don't we? We, we, we're, a, we're the Church of the Nazarene. We say we're a holiness church. We want to be holy people. But if we're, what I'm telling you tonight is if our prayer life is frustrated or lacking, we're not as holy as we could be. We're not as godly as we want to be. Because the truth is you cannot separate prayer from godliness. Prayer is the highest work of the human soul. The highest, greatest work of the human soul. We don't teach that to our people. I, I wished I had, I want to go back and reteach my children. You know, I think I did a fairly good job of teaching my kids through life, but I really learn, you're always learning things. I wish I could go back and teach them greater 25 years ago what I didn't know of how important prayer really is. And once you catch a glimpse of it, you'll never forget it. Foster goes on to say, to pray is to change. I want you to start thinking about that. To pray is to change. Okay? You cannot pray and stay the same. That's a pretty deep thought. We'll unpack all these thoughts as we go along. He goes on to say, prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need 
and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. Wow. You see, the closer we come to the heart of God, the more we see we need to change. I've always said that we can never become too holy. And I've always, it always amazed me that when I read the lives of these great saints of the ages, you know, some of them that we've read here, whether it's John Wesley or St. Augustine from the 4th century or somebody, St. Ephraim, when you read about their lives, if you've ever read, and, and, and as Protestant Christians, we haven't done a whole lot of studying in the lives of the saints. We're not real good at that, but we really should. Because Christianity did exist before the 15th century, <laughs> in the 16th century. You know, there's 2,000 years of Christian history. And some of those early saints, oh my goodness, there is such rich depth in their teaching. So much we can learn from their lives. And what you find is the more you learn about them, you realize that they saw themselves as the biggest sinners of all. I mean, after they're dead and gone, the church looks at them and says, these were saints. They've, the church even in, in, in the, both the Western and the Eastern churches throughout the history have had their way of, of proclaiming people saints. And what they mean by that was that they were, they were um, fitted for heaven. They were ready for the vision of God. And the truth is, you read those people and they'll tell you, no, we weren't. No, we weren't. We, we see things like, we hear that spirit, the Apostle Paul. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul wrote... I'm the chief of all sinners. The Apostle Paul thought of himself as the chief of all sinners. And if we're not careful in our 20th, 21st century mindset, we tend to whitewash some of that and say, oh, he thought that before he was saved. Oh, he thought that before he was an apostle. Oh, he thought that before he wrote all those books. No. Those were his thoughts as he's writing scripture, as he's teaching and leading the church of Jesus Christ on earth. So, humility. What we find in these great saints is amazing depth of humility. And they fill every age. There's modern saints. I mean, there's, there's just so many. Uh, even in our own, in our own midst. Uh, so, they're walking among us. You never know. Holy people. But they're usually the people that don't call attention to themselves. They're usually the people that are just out serving, constantly loving and serving. So we're going to, over the weeks, we'll pull out some thoughts from some of these great sages through the ages and and, uh, talk about them. Last part I want to read here from, uh, is uh, that I want to read to you today from Richard Foster here was, he quotes James James 4 verse 3. Does anybody know what James 4 verse 3 says? I want you to write it down because I want you to spend some time contemplating that verse. James 4 verse 3 says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James, the brother of our Lord. If you look up his book in the New Testament, it says James, the brother of our Lord. He wrote to the church a letter. It's one of the most convicting letters in the New Testament. And in his letter to the church, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. What that teaches me is there must be a wrong way and a right way to pray. 
Yeah. There must be a wrong way and a right way. And I've always said, I've always told people to just pray. You can't pray wrongly. I've said this many times. I've said, you can't pray wrong. Just pray. And I do believe that still. I mean, God just wants you to pray. Okay? He will take, if your heart is pure, he's going to shape you and he's going to mold you and show you where you're asking wrongly. Ultimately, you'll grow and learn. Okay? But what James is telling me is there really is a wrong way to pray. And so we want to identify, what is that? What, what, is, what might be wrong about some of our prayer habits? If there's negative in your heart, scripture, you know, a, a, a good example would be um, my, my previous employer was not real good at fixing equipment, and the person who took over my route, he was driving the truck wearing a mask because the exhaust fumes were coming in the truck. Okay. And when I heard this, I didn't say nothing to him, but I immediately went into prayer for him, and I asked God to get him stopped for a DOT because they were coming down and make the employer fix the truck. Wow. And I, I didn't say nothing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, in less than 24 hours, he was pulled over, truck was shut down, and he was put in a safe truck. Wow. And then I told God, I said, this is not for, because of my feelings towards the previous employer, it is strictly yeah. to, to protect him, because that's going in his lungs. And, yeah. you know, and I made sure to tell God, it was, you know, it was not for any kind of anything bad happening to them, but yeah. to please protect this driver. Yeah. And in less than 24 hours, he was shut down. Wow. And so that's with pure heart. Yeah. So it's so important that we come to a place in our life where we, we can be willing to ask ourselves, why am I asking for these things? Clearly, God, God wants us to ask for things. You know, God, I'm, not a, I'm not a, I don't want you to think I'm a prosperity gospel preacher. God wants you to be rich, all that stuff. I don't believe in any of that. God's blessings are innumerable. And he blesses whom he knows can handle the blessings. Um, But what I am saying is I believe God wants to give us the desires of our heart, but he wants to be sure that our heart is desiring the right things. Okay? He wants us to use them to honor him and bless him and bless Bless others, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He wants us to be his example. So to begin our journey tonight, I want to transition. I want to transition a little bit, and I'm I'm going to teach you something that is going to be hard for you to understand. Okay, I'm going to... Probably make some notes here on the board. If you get it, if you just, if you get it, if you get this light bulb moment going on in your head that just says, aha, yes, hallelujah, because it took me a few times, okay, it took me a few times to get this. But I want to talk about this idea of our prayer life in relationship to the world we live in and God's providence. Okay. How would you define the word providence if somebody asked you to? What is the providence of God? We hear that word used. Somebody says, oh, that's very providential. What is providence? Anybody want to take a stab at it? What is meant to be. What is meant to be. Okay, let me write that down here. I'm going to write providence equal meant to be. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to add to it? Okay, that's a good starting place. Let's leave it right there. Now I want to ask you, um, 
about this word uh, predestined. If something is meant to be, could we say that it's predestined? It was intended. What does the word predestined mean? Does it mean meant to be? It was predestined. It was meant to be. Is there a is there a link somehow between this word of predestined and providence? Predestined. Hmm. So I'm just raising questions for you to think about. We're going to tie all this together, okay? Isn't predestined it's going to happen? Yeah. Let's put it that way. I, that's my... Let's put, let's put that... I'm going to use those words. Going, going to, to happen. happen. Okay, very good. We are predestined happen. to okay. die eventually. Okay. With the Lord, so. yeah. Okay. To arrive. Now, we've all been talking about prayer. What did you say? I'm sorry. To arrive. To arrive. Yeah, if you're, if you're predestined, like you're going to happen, it means you're going to get to that place no matter what road you're going to take. If, if God wants you to be somewhere and you veer off, he may bring you back on in a different way, predestined to get to that. To arrive no matter what. I'll put there that up. Okay. <laughs> Now we're gonna we're gonna talk about all these and see if this is is what we what we believe at the end. Um, now we've already talked about prayer. What is if, I, if you what could I say about prayer? What is prayer? From all that we just read from Richard Foster and others, what is prayer? Union with God, one on one. Union with God, one on one. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you tonight what relationship all of these three have with each other. What relationship do these three words, prayer, providence, and predestination, or in the order that we brought them onto our board, providence, predestination, and prayer, what relationship do they have with each other? Well, first of all, I'm going to begin with the middle one. I want to talk about this idea of predestination. Believe it or not, this has to do with prayer. Okay? You'll, you'll see where we're going in the end. This is, a, this, is a, this is another one of those words that makes us nervous. Okay? There are certain biblical theological concepts that make us nervous. You know, we all know people that are Christians that believe in a, a doctrine. There's a theological doctrine called double predestination. And that is a theological concept that says that before the world began, God chose some people for heaven and some people for hell. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's in his sovereign mind and choice. And that's just where they leave it. Okay, There's a big theological construct out there known, known in many terms as Calvinism. It's not always fair to John Calvin to say all of that, but that's what it, the naming gets. A lot of times called ref, Reformed theology. But that makes us nervous. Because what does that say about God, that he would choose some people for hell? We have to ask the question, what does that say about God? How, how, would, how would God choose anyone for hell? I, I don't think so. I think predestined is... He made me for certain things. Um, how he wired me, how I made for a purpose. Yes. If yeah. if I make a vacuum cleaner, it's not going to wash dishes. 
Okay. And so yeah. each of us have our natural abilities that he has put within us. And okay. if, we, we're, if we're in God's will, we'll probably be predestined yeah. to do how we're wired. Okay. Which will bring glory to God with those abilities. What about those that don't bring glory to God? And that well, they, they aren't, they're going against what they were made to do. Okay. So you're saying they have a choice. Okay, very good. Free will. Free will. Okay. Let's listen to all of this from Scripture. Let's talk about some Scriptures here. Would you, would you, would you believe me if I asked you uh, to say that um, in the Scriptures we're going to look at, okay, that I believe Scripture teaches us that God has a predetermined plan for the world. Does that make you nervous? That God has a predetermined plan for the world. Okay, let's... Makes you uncomfortable when you see what the world's doing. Okay, so let's just read, let's just hear a few scriptures, okay? This is from the book of Acts. This is the Apostle Peter preaching his very first sermon in the streets of Jerusalem after receiving the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of Pentecost. And in his sermon, he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have now taken by lawless hands and have crucified him and put him to death. What is Peter saying there? Peter's saying, hear this that he was being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ was delivered into the hands of men to be crucified by the determined purpose okay, and foreknowledge of God. Now let's turn over to the book of Ephesians and hear a little bit uh, what the same writer, Paul's writing in all of these, that... Acts, that was Acts 2.22. 22 through 23. Okay, now, Paul, the, uh, the apostle, that was Peter, the Paul the apostle, we're going to look at several of his writings here. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm in awe. Just as God, he chose us in himself before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame and before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Clearly, the Apostle Paul is saying, God predestined us to the adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. Listen a little more. Same chapter. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Skip down a little bit, saying, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is the Apostle Paul trying to say to us? What I think he's trying to say to us is that God, before the foundation of the world, had a purpose in mind and a will for our world and for our lives. And he predestined us for that. And if that's true, then what went wrong? What went wrong? Because there's so many people, as you said, look at our world. It doesn't look like it's doing anything predestined according to the will of God. Okay? There's evil everywhere. So we must enter into this equation of this idea that we're that things are predestined and they're going to happen uh, into this idea of the freedom of our humanity to choose what we do and what we don't. Okay? Now, if we can start to grapple with that thought, just how free are we to choose? Okay? And then, then I want to talk a little bit about providence. Okay? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why, do it se- why does it seem like things just don't work out for me? Maybe you've even felt this way. Why doesn't God just do that for me? How come I never get... You can hear this question replayed over and over. Why, 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 why? We're filled with questions about why. When we think about the mystery of God's will in our world, it seems like a clouded mystery we can't understand because it doesn't seem to work out the way we think it should or the way that looks fair or the way that looks just. Isn't God supposed to be fair and just? You know, these are questions that we have to wrestle with. Now, according to this idea of providence, there must be a connection between what God means to happen and what he's predestined to happen. So what we want to do is we want to ask the question. We, we want to ask this question, and, and I know some of you have to leave. And I'm, I'm recording it, but um, some of you I know have to leave. That's okay. No, no problem. Um, so I want you to think about this question here. Some people look at our world and they say, God determines everything that happens. Because it's all predestined. Some people look at our world and say, God determines everything that happens. For instance, um, God's in control. Therefore, he determined that everything would happen. Do you believe that God determines everything that happens? I think some things happen because we we are free will. Yes. And I think that if it's not God's will, then we run into problems. Uh huh. That's okay. That's all right. That's okay. Um, I think that's when we run into problems because it's not God's will, and I think He's you know kind of a roadblock to mm-hmm. turn us around. So if things happen according to. If things happen according to God's will, it has something to do with our freedom to interact with God's will, to try and discern God's will. 
the challenge that we find in our world with many people is that they is that God takes a lot of blame for things He doesn't cause. Okay, God's all power, but He also He He also is not believed in by so many people. The number one reason that people do not believe in God is they cannot rationalize why, if there is a God and He is love, as we try to say. Why do so many bad things happen? People have trouble rationalizing that. The reason I bring this all together with the thought of prayer is because we want to ask the question, does, we've heard from the great saints of the ages that prayer is the greatest work we can do. It's the highest work of the human soul. What difference does prayer make in a world where God has already predetermined what's going to happen? Do you believe God knows when the world will end? You might think, well, I've never, never really thought about that, huh? He has control over it. Yeah. Okay, see, see how quick we are. We want to answer, well, he has control over it. We want to give God that sovereignty. We want to say that God has control of everything. Okay? That, that, that just feels good to us because, perhaps because then we don't have to take responsibility for anything. I think the statement, God is in control, is an excuse we take. Aha! So you're going to take exception with that whole word, God is in control. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would agree with you. I think God is in control is a cop-out. Oh, don't worry. God is in control. Okay. I think that's a cop-out. I think we need to stop and think, what are we in control of? God has given us a free will. What are we in control of? What does he want us to be in control of? How much of the world's problems are our fault? Because we're not living the Christ-like life that we have been given and called to live. These are the questions that enter into our life of prayer when we really start to think about it. So I want to ask you a question. Um, If something's going to happen tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, okay? I don't. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't foresee the future. I'm not a prophet. I can't predict anything. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Does God know what's going to happen tomorrow? Now, don't have to rush to your quick questions. I mean, these are deep questions. Take a moment to think about it. Does God know what's going to happen tomorrow? Now, as you think about that, okay, think about, well, one possible answer might be, of course, God knows everything. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow because God knows everything. Okay. Now, if I ask the question this way, If God knows what's going to happen to tomorrow, has God already determined that's going to happen? He told Peter, you will deny me three times. Okay, did he? That was going to happen. He knew it would happen. So the question becomes, did Peter have a choice to deny Christ, or did he have to do it because God proclaimed it would happen? I think he had a choice, but but, uh, Jesus knew him well enough to know what he was Very good. Very good, very good. Jesus knew him well enough. God knows us. He is our creator. So what I think we want to do is we try and, where all this relates to prayer, believe it or not, at the end of the class, you're going to see that this is all very important to the life of prayer, okay? Is that the truth is, God only knows what's going to happen tomorrow when it happens. Now, Why can I say that? Because we're living in time and space. 
I'm going to challenge you to think outside the box tonight. Where does God live? God lives outside of the world. God lives outside of time and space. Time and space is created for God. For God, there is no tomorrow. For God, there's no today. For God, there's no yesterday. God is the eternal being. Everything is now. Okay? I know that's a deep thought, but I won't. we're going to hammer it home. We're going to think about it, okay? So if that, and, and I believe that, and I, I believe if, uh, to say anything less of God is to say, is to say that he's not God, okay? He's eternal. Now, so can we say that God knows things before they happen? Yes, he knows things before they happen because he knows them out of his eternity, Okay? So what we're really saying is that before all of time began, before creation, God knew and saw everything that would ever happen. Every wrong decision I would make, every wrong decision you would make, every sin we would ever commit, every harm that would ever be done, as well as know every good that would ever be done. And God still chose to create the world. You with me? Knowing all that would happen, he still chose to create the world. Why? Because he loves. And he gives birth to the world and gives us an opportunity to live. So we can say, well, God knows things that are going to happen because they're in his eternity. I'm sorry, I get distracted thinking, where's that baby crying from? There's a, do you hear a baby crying? <laughs> Just thinking, well, there's, we're not even close to the nursery. <laughs> get a little, I'm trying to, Okay, so here, so here's what I'm, I want to take you somewhere deep here. Things, it's not, so what we want to say is things don't happen because God knows them. That's what most people want to say. Well, it happens, everything happens for a reason, and the reason is because God knows it. Things don't happen because God knows them. God knows them because they happen. That is a twist that your mind may have never tried to encounter. But it's going to have everything to do with your life of prayer in just a minute. So let me say it again. If I were taking notes, this is a good time to take notes, if you want to. God knows things before they happen out of his eternal knowledge. Okay? And with this knowledge, he makes his plan for the world. God, I'm going to say that again. God knows things that will happen out of his eternal knowledge, and it's with this knowledge that he makes his plan for the world. But things don't happen because God knows them. God knows them because they happen. Because as free beings, it's the only way it can be. Okay? Or we're not free. Let's say... Tomorrow, God knows in my heart that I'm going to get up and I'm going to come and teach Bible study tomorrow. He knows I'm going to do that. But you know what? If I decide to wake up tomorrow and I don't feel good and I think I'm just going to cancel, I'm not going to come. I've changed my mind. I'm going to change my mind. I'm not going to come teach. Did God know I was going to change my mind? The outcome of tomorrow is not set by God's predetermined plan. 
but yet he has a predetermined plan because he knows everything. It's a paradox, isn't it? It's a deep paradox. The outcome of tomorrow is not determined by God's predetermined plan, but he's, and this is where providence comes in. So what is providence really? It's God making his plan for the world come to life with what we do. Listen to this word from 1 Corinthians. Is it 1 Corinthians chapter? Where did I write that note down? The Apostle Paul says in, I'm pretty sure it's 1 Corinthians, and I can't believe I didn't write that down. Okay, we'll look it up later. But here's what he says. He says, we are co-laborers with God. The Apostle Paul taught people, we, he taught the church, we're co-laborers with God. What in the world does that mean? We're helping God determine how the world's going to turn out. That's what it means. You and I are helping God determine. We're co-working with God in the field to help determine how the world's going to turn out. How can that be? Because God exists outside of time and space. He's created free beings. And he's waiting for us to make a move. He's not going to force us. He's not going to force me to come teach Bible study tomorrow. He's going to let me out of my own free will make that choice. And when I make that choice, God knew it was going to happen. And God determined it before the beginning of the world. Because he saw it all before the beginning of the world. So I can say that God has predetermined everything. But he only did it out of the freedom that he gave to us. And what he knew we would do. So he did know that Peter would deny him three times. He did know that Judas even though he gave him every opportunity to not betray Christ, he still knew Judas would. But that's a world of difference than saying he forced Judas to do it by some predestined plan. God did not force Judas to betray him. God looked out over all of time and knew that Judas, just like he knew you and I would fall. He knew Adam would fall. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and knew they'd fall. Has he predetermined our days on this earth? Yes and no. The answer to all these questions is yes and no. Psalm 139.16 says, Every one of my days were written in your book before one of them was ever lived. How can I say yes and no? The same way I'm answering this. This is why I said it's going to take a while to get this. I didn't get it the first time I heard it either. It took me a while to think it through. Okay? Because... God knows how long I will live. Okay? He knows. I don't know. I can do things to shorten my time. I can take my life. I can smoke like a chimney. You know, I could do all kinds of things that would be harmful to me that would shorten my time. Okay? Or I could be smart and I could maybe do things that would not shorten my time. Time live as long as I go ahead and have that surgery because it might prolong my life. All of these things. Okay? Which is it? Is, am, I, am, I, am I extending my, my life? In this world I am. In the mind of God did I extend it? Not really because he knows the beginning from the end. See what we always forget is we always want to, we always want to think of God like we think. You don't, we don't know the mind of God no. completely. No, we don't. You, you think that you extended your life. And I'm not saying that you, right. that person didn't. I think mm-hmm. they probably did if they don't do certain things. Yeah. We don't know what God knows. 
Right. We don't know what God knows. God, we, when we say God, the mind of God, even that's a human thought. God doesn't have a mind. He is knowledge. He is being. He is eternal. You know, we, we think of him as almost superhuman in that sense, and we want to think like a mind of God. But he, here's why all of this matters, okay? Our freedom, it does my prayer. Now let's speak about a particular kind of prayer tonight. Let's speak about a prayer that we call petitionary prayer, okay? What's that mean? It's, it's I'm praying for something. Okay, I'm, I'm praying, I'm giving God a petition. I'm praying for, maybe it's for your life or your well-being or for my own or whatever, but a p- petition to God. Does that prayer matter in the outcome of that event? Well, our heart, of course, wants to say yes, but if we're not careful, we say, well, but it's already predetermined. God already knows So what cooperation is there between our free will to pray and God's sovereign foreknowledge? Our petition has to be according to his will. So wonder why Jesus said, ask anything you will in my name and it will be done. And James says, you ask wrongly, as we read earlier. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. So maybe what we, what we should be doing is learning how to pray, and this is something that Richard Foster says in his book, to think prayer is learning to think God's thoughts after him. So what we'll talk about next week when we get together next week is we're going to talk about different types of prayer, okay, and how they are affected in our spiritual life. For instance, uh, prayers of petition versus prayers of praise or prayers of confession or prayers of thanksgiving. Different ways they affect our lives differently. Okay, They affect the kingdom of God differently. Here's the cliffhanger I want to leave you with this week. Okay, Here's the cliffhanger I want to leave you with this, with this week. If what I'm saying is true, and, and it's not true because I'm saying it, I've come to believe it. You may not, but I've come to believe it because it's the only thing that makes sense of who God is to me. That God is love. In him there is no darkness at all. And that he has given us the freedom to interact with him in this world and to pray in this world to co-labor with him in how how his providence plays out in our world. And so the question becomes, does my prayer really matter? Does my prayer really matter? Next week I'm going to tell you why it really matters and how it really matters. I believe it does. If we really believe that though, okay, I'm going to give you a closing, kind of a closing analogy here. Use a closing analogy. If I pray for God to Let's say I pray for God to have mercy on my family. Uh, there's great, let's say there's great turmoil, there's great problems in our life, and I pray for God's mercy. Okay, I want him to help us through a difficult time. Okay, please be merciful to my family, Lord. Help us to figure out how to get through this, this sort of thing, if that's my prayer. 
and think about, I, I can either pray that prayer or I have the freedom to not pray that prayer. Would the outcome of my family situation or whatever I'm praying, would it matter if I'd prayed it or not prayed it? That's the heart of what we're talking about. Would it matter? Okay. If the answer is yes, it would matter. Then prayer is of ultimate importance. And why aren't we praying more? Why does it matter is the tougher question. That's what we're going to try and answer next week. Why does it matter? Because we ascribe that God knows everything anyway. He knows the outcome. Why does it matter? So, deep stuff. The water's deep. Hang with me. It'll get, it'll get more shallow as we go through. Okay. But what I want you to really hear tonight is that prayer is the most important work of the human soul. We don't realize that. If we really realized that, we would do way more praying. We would learn as much as we could about prayer. We would call our people to pray more. We would pray more in ourselves. We would pray more with our families. We would do more. I'm as guilty as the next. I don't do all that I can do. I want to. I want to learn. I want to do better. I'm as guilty as the next. So I'm not teaching tonight from a position of authority or figured all this out. I'm in the journey in the valley with you, working and struggling to figure it out, okay? So, that's probably enough for tonight. That's pretty deep stuff. Okay? Think about it. Dwell on it. Think about it. That's why I want you to take notes on what we're talking about. And then we'll talk more about it next week. What difference does our prayer really make? We need to know the answer to that question. Let's close with prayer. Father, this is a class on prayer. We're going to close with prayer. Why do we do that? Because we believe that it's good and wholesome and we're thankful. We're thankful to be together. We're thankful to have the freedom to be together. We're thankful to have the the gift of, of the scriptures and all of the writings that have gone on, the great saints before us. We're just so thankful, Father, that you've given us the opportunity to ask some really deep, tough questions. And so... We ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit to help us as we go about our lives tomorrow and the next day until we meet again to bring us back and to help encourage us to open our hearts and minds to discover just exactly what it means that prayer really matters. So thank you now for this time together. and We ask this through Christ our Lord. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.